If I were you, I would write these things down, okay? Number one, to be a good leader, you've got to own your, your style. And your style can be multiple, uh, multiple ways of, ex of operating within um, a, a, a band, a, a spectrum. You can go all the way from here to here and you say, this is, I will give myself permission to operate from here to here along the spectrum, just like an autism spectrum or whatever spectrum. You give yourself a range and you say, within that range, I, I, I allow myself, I will choose the circumstance, I will judge the circumstances and I will give myself permission. That's not easy when you have a boss because your boss um, can authorize or deauthorize you to operate within the spectrum you've chosen. So what we're all aspiring to do is get to a power place where we say, I don't have to seek permission to be in the spectrum that I choose to be in as a leader. And why it's, it's really hard people working from home because the controlling that spectrum as a leader is nearly impossible because you're online and the person's spending a lot of time off camera. Um, and so the whole thing about leadership is really shifted out of control since the COVID lockdown and people not coming to the office because in an office, a leader, your, your boss can say to you, don't operate like that or give you what they call, um, as uh, we all get, um, friendly advice or tell you that it's the company culture not to operate in the spectrum where you're choosing to operate. Well, as soon as that happens, you're disempowered. You gave your power to the company culture or to your boss in order to, why? Why would you give your power away? You give it away to retrieve something. We give to get. We never give away anything for nothing. No human being ever gives anything for nothing. None. Not one, even Jesus or Muhammad or uh, Buddha, or nobody gives anything for nothing. They always want to return, even if it's the word thank you. Even if it's a, a formation of their own self-belief that they are operating from a good place. <laughs> if, if, I, if we say, I gave it unconditionally, we feel uh, uh, valuable for being unconditional. <laughs> so we're getting something, we, we never give for nothing. And so in any form of relationship, when, when, um, when you ask for permission to be you, what you're getting in return is uh, abdication of uh, your responsibility to be yourself. You're getting uh, a, a broader view of your, of your possibility of failure. So it's risk aversion. When you ask, when you get, uh, when you give someone the power to empower you, what you're getting is some degree of abdication of responsibility for what's about to happen. Because if it fucks up, the person who gave you the advice is responsible. Your coach is responsible, or your boss is responsible, or your partner's responsible. You're saying, I don't want to wear the can if shit goes down here. So we, we ask someone to give us permission. So um, I have a lot of people who uh, talk to me about their, their spouse not letting them do something. 
what a weird world we give our spouse permission to allow us to do something. Well, what we're ba they're basically saying is, I don't want to wear the can if what I'm about to do goes wrong. So I'd rather, instead of owning, owning who I am and owning uh, my spirit and owning my soul and owning my guidance and owning my purpose and owning my personality and owning my spectrum, instead of doing that, I'm going to ask permission to be that. And if they say no, I can blame them because I didn't live my truth. <laughs> and if they say yes, I can blame them because if it goes all pear-shaped, they told me to. So it's really hard, I think, with this, with this situation of um, what's the, where do I operate in the spectrum of leadership and what do I choose to do in a negotiation with another human being? It's really hard when you ask a coach, what you're saying is, would you please tell me something to do? So if it goes wrong, I don't have to wear the can. I can say, the coach told me, or I can say, the boss told me, or I can say, the HR department told me. It's, <laughs> it's, it's risk, um, de-risking which is cowardice. So we don't feel good about it, but it's clever. So it's, it's, it's a really smart thing to do, to de-risk the future and not be blamable if it, if it goes pear-shaped. It's a really smart strategy, really smart. But if, if, we are, if, 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 if we spend enough time sitting in a cave to feel what we really feel when we hand over to somebody permission or ask for permission to do something, we feel like shit. We feel weak and cowardly and meager and depreciated and it's so funny, yet we're going to do it again. So the benefit of de-risking and the drawback of feeling shitty, those two work hand in hand. So the second part about this is to realize that there is a spectrum of behavior that you can cope with or accept from yourself when you're dealing with leadership. You, you say, I, I, I can lead from aggressive, uh, masculine, uh, what we call the masculine, not male, masculine a aspect, which is aggressive and uh, uh, management by objectives and clear goal setting and outcomes, or I can manage all the way down the other end, which is the feminine, not female, the feminine way of leadership, which is the feminine side is to collaborate, uh, cajole, cooperate, um, um, encourage, in, encapsulate, and basically you can divide the two, the, one end of the spectrum is called process, and the other end of the spectrum is called result. Process, result. One end, the feminine end is process. How, how do I treat you today? How are you enjoying this? What does it feel like? Um, um, did you uh, uh, nurture you through that, nature and nurture? So you, I will nurture you through process. At the end of process will be a result. As long as I know what the result is and I stick to process, then uh, we're on the right track. Down the other end of that spectrum of behavior is result which is says, I don't give a continental how you feel. 
I don't give a shit whether, you know, what's going on at home. Fucking turn up, do your job, shut the fuck up and go home. Good old days, the old days of management and management by objectives. It was clear and mandated by corporations within the spectrum of my lifetime that says, fuck it, just tell them what you want, make it really clear, write it down on a piece of paper and say, this is what you deliver at the end of 12 months, go away and do it. <laughs> and if you misbehave or if there's something goes wrong, you know, I remember my first job uh, uh, not long out of uni, uh, my wife was pregnant, the house burnt down, the neighbour was sick, and the shit's going on. I was rowing in the Olympics, I was <laughs> training four times a day, falling asleep at my desk, and I got into big trouble because I missed the target of my objectives. Nobody went, what's the process you're going through, Chris? Are you sure? Nothing, nothing. The HR department gave me a rap on the knuckles for not hitting sales targets. Well. If you go, roll forward uh, a, a million years from then till now, roll forward, and now it would be, oh, forget your targets, we'll drop them. What's wrong at home? Can we get you any help? How long would you need off? Would you, would you, can we help you unburn the house? Could we sponsor you one day a week to do rowing? And it would be the oh, completely other way. And well, I'm not sure on that spectrum uh, what, what is right and wrong. I don't care. I just think every person has an individual situation. And you as a leader have to elect what is best. So the question is, and you, the question is quite rightly put, where do you operate and how do you choose where to operate in the spectrum between process and result? And you could say it's based on the Meyer-Briggs personality test or it's based on how much tes testosterone this person's got, how much... Um, 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 the, the, the female uh, hormones they've got operating in their DNA. How, how, but pfft, you, you could be there, but then you're going to be judge and jury. You're going to play God. And that's really hard because you can miss it. And people shift, as I've said before. Maya Briggs is a, is a malleable, changeable, environmentally determined quality. Uh, of a person's character. And as long as the, long as the environment stays fixed um, as a result of um, circumstances, whatever they did the Maya Brig on in that environment stays pretty solid. But if the environment shifts, if they lose a leg or half their head blows off in a storm or uh, they go bald or they, I don't know, grow big boobies, I, I, you know, if something changes, Maya Brig changes. Or Chris Walker comes along and does a, a, a discard process in a weekend workshop. You change your Maya Brick. So you can't, I don't think it's, I don't think it's ethical to choose your leadership style based on what you think the character or the personality or the expressed nature of a person is in the workplace. I think the best way to determine what level of the spectrum you're going to operate on is by choosing got to, should, need to, um, uh, uh, want to, you choose it on the hierarchy of their consciousness. Now, there's seven areas of life, therefore there's seven hierarchies of consciousness, and you're not to know whether a person's having um, uh, um, sex with the cat next door, and therefore they're in a got to place in their uh, spiritual life, 
but coming to work uh, evangelistic and telling everybody how amazing they love the company and you're not to know where they are in all seven areas. So the interpretation of where another person's at in the seven areas has to be behavioral. Can't be any, uh, uh, any other thing. A person who's in a got-to space, it will be behaving in a way. They will walk slow, which means they're in the feminine side of this behavior. They've swung to the past or they're scurrily, scurrying everywhere, panic attack, you know, I've got to get this done, I've got to get this done, I've got to get this done, it's never going to be finished, it's got this And you just watch this and you observe, you go, okay, they're in a got-to space, they've polarised to the future, they've polarised to the masculine side of the pyramid, then I will work with them at that place. And we always say, you work with a person just like you were in a mountaineering environment, you always stay one above, you don't go down to their level. So if a person's in a got to, you're in a should. If a person's in a should, you're in a need to. If a person's in a need to, you're in a want to. You come down so you can just throw them a rope, but you don't go down to their level. And if someone's operating in a got to, you know, like that, you go, okay, what should we do here? That's kind of like. So it's behavioral. And I think the most important thing, in whether it's family or whether it's partnering or whether, whatever it is, is we measure where a person's at, not by what they say, because they can compartmentalize where they're at in the house, but they can't compartmentalize where they're at in life. They can compartmentalize themselves at work. Oh, who do you think you are telling me what to do in the office? And you go, hmm, I could take that very personally and I could operate as a leader against that buffer. Or I could say that's a uh, that's an expressed character of that individual. Where are they on the hierarchy of consciousness? Well, I, I just skip the words. I block my ears to what they say and I watch them walk. I watch them sit. I watch them. Um, I just observe and, and <laughs> it takes two seconds to observe. If someone's hunched forward, they're in deep depression and that's it, it, they may at work be telling everybody how elated and excited and fantastic things are, but they could even be on cocaine at work these days. So you can't base things on what people say. You can never, ever, ever base anything ever on what a person says. So where you choose to operate in the spectrum of your permissible bandwidth of leadership um, behaviors, which is which are circumstantially di uh, diverse, and the more you do inner wealth, the more diverse they become because you do discard forms on all your own emotional characters. So you go, well, I can use anger because now I've done a discard on anger. It's good and bad. So I will, if I need to, I can tap the anger. I bring it into a should or a need to or a even love to because anger at a love to place at the top of the pyramid is absolutely unconditional love. If you take anger at the bottom of the cone, which is violence, right, down the bottom, it's fight, flight, that's anger. It's as raw and disgusting and violent and physical as it can get. Lust and punching and swearing at people and cussing and road rage and all these things come from got to anger. If you take anger, the same word, and you discard it 
and you do it long enough, you'll take it up to should, need to, want to, desire to, choose to, poof, unconditional love. Same juice, same energy. And the universe gives you energy in the form of anger, in the form of red lava in the middle of a volcano. It's your choice how far up the cone it gets. So you might choose to get up to want to, and you go, I'm gonna operate like uh, I, I teach, uh, say to people, operate from your heart, which is halfway between heaven and hell. It's a confusing place because it's ambivalent. That's the human heart. So the lava comes up, it's still got some anger in it, which is enthusiasm and, and um, <laughs> commitment and willpower. It isn't devoid of all the, the rotten things from below. But it hasn't quite reached the state of unconditional love, which is sitting on a beach somewhere uh, with your finger up your backside going, um, Ooh, I'm waiting for a coconut to drop out of the tree to feed me. <laughs> Look, the topic of pleasing people, it, it, it's been overrated. Of course, um, when Donald Trump makes a, a, an actual idiot of himself on TV, he's deliberately not pleasing a group of people and he's deliberately pleasing a whole lot of others, the gun club and the people who vote for him. Uh, when uh, Ronald Reagan told jokes about Russia, he was deliberately pleasing a bunch of people and deliberately knowing that it was going to displease a bunch of other people. It's not the, the topic of whether you do things to please people is inconsequential. It's no big deal. It doesn't mean we have a flaw in our character. What it means is we're politically astute. The question is, <laughs> you're going to piss half the people off no matter what you do. So you most, what the whole thing is, you most will please yourself and piss the right people off. <laughs> and so it, 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 when you finally see a leader in, in, their, in their socks, in their really wearing their own hair, they, they're, they're them, they are pissing people off 24-7. But they're pissing the right people off. <laughs> And they're pleasing the right people. So there is, whether it's if you, if you watch the movie of Steve Jobs or whether you watch the movie of Barack Obama or whether you watch the movie of um, Bono and his group or whether you watch the movie of uh, Mother Teresa, if you watch all these documentaries, if you watch all these things, which I love to do, what you see is for every 20 people they lo that like them, there's 20 not 20 people, but 20 amounts of energy that hate their guts. So the leader is left with this horrible question. If I can't please all of the people all the time, I might as well piss off the right people. And when you get down to this uh, realization, you say, okay, Chris, you want to be, you want to create a website. Who are you creating it for? And I go, well, I'm creating it so business people around the world can learn about spirituality at work, can be operate in consciousness. That's what I'm building this web site for. So they go, is it a male? And then the branding people come to me and they go, is it a male or is it a female? Is it a, is it a high executive or a low executive? I go, I don't want to know. Because half of the people will reject what I do no matter what I do, and half the people will accept it. No matter. If I had no website, I'd still get the same clients. 
No website. I will still get the same clients. So the website is not convinced. I don't want to convince the wrong people to do the work I do and, and piss off the right people. So I said, I want to create a website that I like the look of <laughs> because, I, I, because I, I, I can't create it from, a, from that other view, which is you're marketing something. So you want to attract this breed of people. They're 18 to 24 years old. They've got a um, university degree. They're uh, from a middle, middle to upper class family and they've uh, gone to private school and they will buy an ice cream of this particular brand if you present it to them in that way. That's a product being sold into a market. And as a leader, you can de develop yourself like that, a product being marketed to a certain breed of people, but then you can only lead those people. And the problem with leadership is you lead diversity and you've got, um, uh, uh, gay and lesbian people, you've got people wanting to worry about this pronoun stuff that's going on, you've got traditional people, you've got people whose religious beliefs are fundamental, you've got people who are underqualified and over-promoted, you've got, you've got a spectrum of humanity and the question is, you say, how do I get them all to like me? Well, you don't. You piss off the right people. You piss off the ones who will be pissed off if you attract them, if you, if you change your leadership style to worry about how is this person going to respond to me, if you change your leadership style based on them, you will recruit the right, the, you, will, you will get the wrong people to like you who will eventually not like you because they got recruited under false pretenses. You'll piss off the people who would have liked you and they'll continue to be pissed off because you push them away when they really wanted to be close to you. So it's so complicated if you start asking, what does the other person want? The, the, the question, who are the right people to piss off? There is no right person to piss off. But if you're in power because of a certain group of people, it may be wise to operate in a way that the group of people who empower you uh, support. You know, if you're a politician and you're on the liberal side of po politics, it might be wise to speak to them because they're the ones who voted for you. They're, they're, they're the collaborators. They belong to the party. And there's a bunch of people who you might piss off who, who if you just speak your truth, if you are, a, let's say, a, a, a left-wing politician and you speak your left-wing truth then who, who would be following you the left wing and who would you piss off the right wing but you're not speaking to piss a group of people off you're just being you but 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 it's really important to make sure like in a corporate politics environment it's not left wing right wing so much as it is um the power brokers and the, who the HR department, which is a way overpowered um, part of corporate politics these days. It might be wise not to piss off the HR department if they're uh, responsible for part of your promotion to be executive director of an organization or something. So there is some degree of, um, what would you call it, some degree of integrity because if, if, if you want to get to be a senior executive in a business and you, and you want to fake it 
to get all the way up there, you're going to get revealed. You're going to get uh, uh, caught with your pants down because you're going to go, look at me, 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 look at me. I'm exhausted. And then they're going to go, where's the results? They'll swing the pendulum from process to results in order to catch you in the in the bear trap. Or if you go, look at me, 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 and they go, well, it's nice results, but you've just pissed half the people off on the way up the ladder. Uh, you're caught in the same bear trap. So you may as well be uh, uh, authentic to yourself and not necessarily try to piss people off, but know that you will. So every word that comes out of your mouth is going to land inside the brain of an individual who has uh, what uh, uh, Malcolm Gladwell called the blink process. You know, they're going to have pre-existing judgments. And so here's me, Chris Walker, Australian white male. Blah, 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 blah. And if I just do that, blah, 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 on my podcasts and the YouTube if I, and, and, and audio, blah, 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 blah. I don't say any words, blah, blah, blah. There's going to be a huge spectrum of people out there who go, fuck off. Who do you think you are? Blah, 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 blah. Because you're white, you're Australian, and you're a male. And you come across a little undignified, you're a little bit raw, a little bit, um, I don't know, unfiltered in the way you approach all this stuff and disrespectful of uh, gurus and churches and religions and, and a little bit um, judging of low conscious and higher conscious. And they're going to take whatever I say and spin it until it becomes disagreeable. So do I talk on my podcast? Do I talk to you? Do I talk to people in order to engage them? Or do I say, well, at some level, I have to respect. You have a question, I have to answer it. And whether you like the answer or not is not the criteria. I must, in definition of value creation, deliver to you an answer you wouldn't have thought of before you talked to me. That's my job, to raise the bar, to raise the bar on the question you have. So you go, I don't like the answer, I don't feel good with the answer, I don't understand the answer, but I know that there is something to explore in the answer that will raise my um, performance. And that, as long as I do that, even though you might tick-tock, pissed off, not pissed off, and half the people won't even talk to me because I'm a white Australian male who talks a little bit like a football player rather than a, a, a business coach. But I am a business coach. I just have a, a, I just choose a different profile instead of talking smoothly like that and being very authentic uh, as I can be if you choose to be and be in the strategic level of corporate dialogue, um, very uh, uh, approachable by people who are in the human development uh, industry, which believe in the human condition, believe in love and believe in workplace environments that should be really... Uh, uh, um, caring and compassionate and fucking kind. <laughs> but I just couldn't sustain it. <laughs> I'd get caught with my pants down. I used to do keynote speeches and people would hire me. I'd go, who do you want me to be? And I'd talk about it and, and it was easy because one hour in a keynote, you can bullshit, your, you can present yourself. If they say, we'd like a, a talk on spirituality, please. I go, hello, everybody. 
I've just come back from the Himalayas of Nepal, meditating with the monks and doing a Zen retreat. And I'd like to talk to you about the inner tranquility of the human condition. And they'd be really happy. And then I go to the next place. They say, look, we're going to go through a massive level of change. People don't know it in this organisation yet, but 50% of the people are going to get lose their jobs. We have to do a massive retrenchment. We want you to speak on stage and talk to people about transitions and change. So I go, g'day, it's Chris Walker here from good old Australia. And, you know, everything in the bush dies and floods come through and bushfires come through. And, man, when they come through, you think the worst things happen on Earth. But at the end of the bushfire, at the end of the flood, you sit back and you go, bloody fantastic. Look at the green growth. So transitions are a part of life. And you really need to be excited and enthusiastic about a trend. And they go, well, thank you very much. You did a nice job. You can do that for an hour, but if you if you live with a person, <laughs> they, they they were faking it <laughs> like that. You couldn't you couldn't sustain it. That's why the keynotes keynote industry is such a great industry because you just say, who do you want me to be and what do you want me to say, and you get up on stage and say it, and run away as fast as you can so no one has dinner with you so to find out that you were putting on a character in the spectrum, and that's leadership. So that's why, you know, these days we say to, the, to leaders, um, if you engage in your social life, you, you, you really started to limit, if you engage socially with your people you work with, you've really started to limit the spectrum that you are allowed to operate in because you kind of like have to be the person they get to meet in social life. You have to be that person at work. Otherwise, they think you're being fraudulent when you're really being real and you were just being fraudulent socially, if that makes sense. Everything you react to, every single thing you react to, drives a behaviour in another person to cause it again. So if you want, it's called your Achilles heels. And in the discard process, it's we call it your unconsciousness or... You, it's your it's your vulnerability. So let's say someone uh, in a meeting goes uh, doesn't smile. Let's say someone doesn't smile, and you're in the meeting and you see this person deliberately not smiling, and you go, "Is there anything wrong, Pete?" And Pete goes, "Aha! Now I know how to get you." Uh, over in contact with me for the rest of my life. I just have to not smile. And because you need me to smile, I've got you. So what you, it's the same with the kid. When the kid spits the food on the floor and you go, don't spit the food on the floor, they've got you. You're far better off to go look across the other side of the kitchen and whip up another egg or, 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 or read the newspaper and pretend it didn't happen. Otherwise, you reinforce that, that negative behavior to cause, to cause them to get back in control with you. So one of the hardest things, that's why I say the heart is so important in leadership. One of the hardest things is to come from your heart, which is ambivalence, which is ultimately the ability to let go of something. When it's not mission critical, when it's not time critical, and someone does something that really um, provokes you, most often, I would say 99.9999%, there's no accident. 99.999%, they've not done something or they've done something which will cause you to be distracted. And there is a, a link between 
your, your willingness to be distracted and what they did. It's no accident. And I think, therefore, the ability to, to let go or be ambivalent, which is the human heart, it's ambivalent. This is take it or leave it. And therefore, it's not easily manipulated, but it manipulate, it's still human. It's not gone to unconditional love, which is beyond human. It's still a human thing, but it's way up the spectrum. And it's basically saying, if you didn't do what I asked you to do, well, that's okay. It doesn't drop down into, I'm going to cause a reaction and join you at the level of got to in the pyramid and therefore become not a leader anymore, or therefore become a follower of you. Follower of a kid, follower of a partner, follower of an ex-partner, follower of a friend. And I've got people that I coach who are still followers of their parents and their parents are nearly dead. But their parents go, a and the kid jumps on an aeroplane and flies over to make sure they're okay. It's it, this, this uh, manipulable contract that we have based on our own unconsciousness and our, and our umbilical connections to things means we, it really is reveals we're not operating in good leadership in our heart, in the human heart is ambivalent. You go, achoo, you go, bless you. <laughs> That's the end of it. It's no aeroplane, it's no flyover. And if you pass away, you pass away. That's a, it's what happens in life, people pass. It, I know it sounds cold, but it's not. It's the human heart. This is, this is how the human heart functions. And it's absolutely essential for leadership. Absolutely essential to come from your heart. Because you have to know, you have to have the ability to let go, even if you choose not to. Some things are important, some things are not important, some things are mission critical, some things are just egocentric. And when it's egocentric or not mission critical, you've got to let go. Ambivalent. And when it is, is mission critical and it isn't egocentric, you've got to hold on. That choice point, that choice point is the human heart. If, if you let it go, you go up the, the pyramid and go to unconditional love. You go, it is what it is. You know, COVID, you can't do much about it, it is what it is. We're locked down. If you're in the human heart and you say this is mission critical, you drop down the pyramid to a got to or a should or a need to to implement um, change. That's the beautiful place about coming to work in your heart. And it's not lovey-dovey, wooshy-wooshy, pushy-pushy. It's I don't give a shit. You know, it's, it's ambivalence is, the, is home ground advantage. That place where, where a partner says, I'm leaving. And you go, well, can I pack? can I pack for you? They say, I'm staying. You go, can I unpack for you? Uh, I, I don't like you anymore. You go, well, half the time, neither do I. I really like you. Well, half the time, so do I. Um, you know, that ambivalent place is this, this middle ground. It's, it's like floating, floating on air. And it's so powerful. And yet people have to go to got to, you know, they, they say, I've got to do this and I've got to, they think they're really powerful when they become fight, flight, you know, resistant. And if you're an ambivalence like Gandhi or Mother Teresa or one of these great people who write in their heart in ambivalence, they go, well, you can, you know, Gandhi's the great one. He says, well, you can take my life. That's okay. That's all right. You can take my food away. That's okay. It doesn't matter. He didn't empower. And they said he was passive, but he says, no, 
I just, uh, what he said, I just not compliant. And that non-compliant state, that human heart, oh, that's the sexy spot for, for, for a leader. That's the sexy spot because you, they say, well, I'm going to take $50 off your pay. You go, oh, that's your call. It's not mission critical. They go, I'm going to take $10,000 off your pay. You go, uh, now you've hit mission critical and now I'm going to drop out of ambivalence into a ch by choice into an antagonistic place by choice. So the choice of the spectrum, where you operate in the spectrum, you have to have ground zero, right? You have to have home from which you say, I choose to go here or I choose to go there. That choice point, the, the, what we call in the consciousness cone, the, the from want to upwards, which is desire and choose. Those two layers, that's the human heart. Want is the baseline where you don't go below. Below want is action, reaction. And you have to react sometimes to where it's mission critical. You go into, okay, I'm gonna, if you're in a resistant got-to place, I'll operate from should and we will implement change here because it's mission critical. But if it's not mission critical, I'm going up to, to the want to and above and then I'll go to, well, it's okay, it's all right, let it go. Who cares? 